State Player at 720 WGN. Welcome in. I'm glad you could be with us. 312-981-7200 is where you can call or text. Now, to me, that theme is synonymous with two Chicago TV legends. The iconic duo Bill Curtis and Walter Jacobson both started at WBBM-TV in the 1960s, but it wasn't until 1973, 50 years ago this year, when the two reporters were teamed up to become lead co-anchors. And for the next nine years, their newscast became the number one rated news in Chicago. Not only was WBBM's The 10 O'Clock News tops in the ratings locally, but it became the blueprint for newscasts around the country. Now, today you can catch Bill on the Cold Case Files on A&E and behind the scenes producing a new season of American Greed on CNBC. Walter's perspectives can be heard every Thursday on the John Williams Show here on WGN Radio. And to celebrate this milestone anniversary, Bill and Walter join me in studio. Welcome in, gentlemen. Same to you, David. Thank you, David. Nice to have us here. Oh, it's great to see you both together. Well, it was five decades ago since you both were paired together on what was the most successful local evening news broadcast in television history. It must feel pretty cool. It does. I wish we could start it all over again. (laughs) It's something we wanted to do after we stopped to do it again. And we did that. You know, we came back to WBBM just to try it out for a couple of days. A couple of days. You know, that night, that Friday night that you came back to fill in for Rob Johnson, I was a big dork and I literally stayed home that night. I didn't even want to DVR it. I wanted to see it live, seeing you two behind the anchor desk again. That's how iconic you guys are. Well, and it was fun. That had not changed. I mean, Walter and I slipped right in from the first word, uh, just like uh, we had been. But everything else had changed. Yeah, I bet. And uh, so after the two years, um, I think you would go back to work uh, then because you really enjoyed it. Uh, I'd probably go on. I mean, nobody could even touch you guys. And even as a kid, I knew how big this broadcast was. And... I know you both started working at BBM in the 1960s, but you both came from very different backgrounds. Bill, at at 16, you began as an announcer on KIND in Independence, Kansas. It's the classic story, 250 watts, a little town (laughs) of 10,000 people. It's the only radio station in town and probably the best experience I've ever had. And at such a young age, what drove you into broadcasting at 16 years old? A deep voice. A deep voice. So you Uh, had that legendary (laughs) voice back then. Knew it then. Now, that's something I didn't know about. (laughs) You were aware of a deep voice back then. Yeah, even then. And I thought, I think I can slip into this, and uh, I would like to do it. And I, I think I did for about three years before going to college. Maybe that's what had something to do with how we worked so well together. That because maybe. we were just so totally different. Yeah, that's I always true. considered myself a very squeaky voice. And when people stop me on the street and say, I remember you, and I remember your voice, I say, no, you remember those tentorian tones that came <laughs> from <not> Bill Curtis. <laughs> I, I, was, I didn't belong in the business oh no no not at all but i mean but again so different backgrounds and and did you know that that voice was powerful enough for radio or did someone say to you bill you know you should really consider this well both but um i i kind of do it and what i will claim is that from that early because this is a good lesson for uh, young people from that early time i had a vision and the vision was to stay in broadcasting, may, may have been television, radio, uh, the variety of uh, jobs that were there. Uh, but this was it. Now, I also felt uh, through high school and uh, some college that it wasn't serious enough. It came so easy that maybe 
I needed something else. So I went on to law school. You did. You uh, did. I was going to say, your degree in journalism, uh, your law degree, and then uh, and then you went to Topeka, and um, you were on the air for over 24 hours covering a tornado there. It is considered in Topeka and Kansas my big break. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess it was because after that, uh, and being the only television station in town, 70% of the wow. television audience was watching us. And um, I happened to be the guy on the air. Um, there was a great team, you know, local, beyond local, um, but really part of the community. And as a matter of fact, uh, a year ago, why they held a, a sort of a memorial service uh, and asked me to come back. Oh, and, that's and cool. To say thanks. 700 people showed up. Wow. Everybody who had had that experience. But in three months, I had sent my tapes out, and uh, John Madigan from WBBM TV uh, hired me uh, in, right into the newsroom as a reporter. How, is it, how exciting was that for you? Well, it was a big city. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was married, had a six-month-old, and uh, so I had to get used to the city coming from, sure. I mean, the capital of the state was 150,000, uh, so Chicago was really something. But I was uh, ready to learn, and, uh, you know, you, you wrote, uh, there was a structure uh, that you slipped into, we were using film, and uh, I had not worked that much with film and processing and editing and unions. It's a lot to learn right off the a bat. A lot, yep. yeah. Now, Walter, you were born here in Chicago, and your journey to the newsroom started as a bat boy for the Chicago Cubs, <laughs> right? Hardly got me into a newsroom, but that's what's remembered about me. That is. That is. Curtis in a tornado, Walter in the dugout. <laughs> in the dugout, I like that. I like that. And you went on to get your degree in political science, a master's in journalism, Pretty deadly combination for you, because, I mean, that set the pace. I, ne I never really knew much or cared much about the techniques of television. I was kind of the reporter with a pencil and a pad and and just focused on that. I'm still very weak in that regard. I don't know these latest developments. That was his expertise. So I'm, I'm very interested in hearing you just say that, Bill, that you got into this at that television and radio level. I got into it on the wire services and the right. City News Bureau. Yeah, the and, City News Bureau was your big break. Right, and a couple of Chicago newspapers. I I was just reporting. Yeah. I was not performing and didn't know much about performing. I would try to discourage the two guys who came in from New York to hire us or to put together a whole new show. I told them, you know, this, this isn't my bag. They kind of liked my combativeness. In yeah. me. They, they were smart enough. I, uh, the history of two major players at CBS in New York sent to Chicago to dig the CBS local station, Channel 2, out of the depths. And somehow they got this idea to put together two very different guys and didn't expect it to work. It was a gamble because the CBS ratings were just so bad, anything might make them better. <laughs> but, but you were reporting at the time. Were you doing perspectives before you were anchoring? Were you going on the air already, or were you more behind the scenes? Oh, all behind the scenes. Yeah, okay. I mean, I was, no, I was on-camera reporter, yeah, but I was yeah. a city hall reporter, so sure. I stood in front of the uh, mayor's office when he held a news conference. 
conference, and when he finished, then I put on my kind of smart-ass attitude <laughs> and said, you know, this is what he said, but here's what he really yes, meant. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. But this is uh, good for young people, too. He had mentors, Jack Mabley. Jack Mabley, Did yeah. Did he work for Royco? Uh, were you a leg man for Royco, Mike Royco? Yeah, what about him? I worked with him. Yeah, with him. I, I, worked, I was on the Chicago's American. He was on the Daily News. But we were assigned to the same beat yep. at, at uh, the Cook County office building. And uh, City News. Uh, so he was really in, in the news-gathering part, the core of journalism in the city. And you, I mean, you had an investigative mind. That's what drove you. Yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, curious. Uh, every reporter needs to be that. And But it developed. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were together nine years, and uh, during that time, uh, there was a growth into number one. It didn't come overnight. Oh, it sure didn't. You know, it was, what, a year and a half? I even counted three years, but I, I think it was probably Let a year Let me correct you. I remember this for sure. It was five years and CBS had finally said, we've had enough of these two guys. They're not making it. We're going to end it. For some reason they lasted another six, eight, or eight months, and in that time we just took off. Wow. It had it had a, quite a bit to do with what was going on in Chicago at the time, yeah. too, the politics and the crime, those kinds of stories. But What wooed you back to the station? Because you left for a little bit. You went to MAQ for a couple of years, didn't you? The memory factor at being this age really gets in the way of things. I'm having trouble sometimes remembering exactly what happened to us during that time. But I do know that we were trying very hard to be more serious. Well, we are talking to TV legends Bill Curtis and Walter Jacobson, and there's more with them next on 720 WGN. Day player 720 WGN, we're talking to Bill Curtis and Walter Jacobson on the 50th anniversary of being paired together on the 10 o'clock news. So did you both think your pairing back in 1973 was going to work, given how different you both were? Or did you think out of the box that you would complement each other? Let's reveal something here. You were much less confident than I was, and I was not confident at all that it would work because you saw me as a troublemaker, a big city <laughs> a big city guy who wouldn't keep his nose out of government and politics, whereas he was a... a, a Rural, exactly. fair to call you rural. Absolutely, yeah. from Kansas. Everything, everything was very just straight. Except black the and establishment. And, yeah. and, and look at the yeah. time. I must have driven you crazy. Crazy. No. When, when you would read a story no. and I was sitting next to you and I'd make some remark about it, I could just see him going, oh, my God, Walter, stop it. Stop it. No, I learned how to be a good husband, which is to listen, but not yeah. That's intrude. That's a smart move. I like that. Uh, I like which that. it turned out to be the perfect combination. It absolutely He was the did. inside guy. I was the outside guy. I came from three years with CBS News as a correspondent, so I liked to travel and, yeah. and be on the street all the time. And I would come in sort of like, uh, honey, I'm home, uh, <laughs> you know, in the evening, uh, ready to do my thing. And Walter had been working at home uh, gotcha. and, yeah. and working all day on a sure. perspective. Sure. And you put those things together, and it was fresh. and. Our conversations were fresh. You do your thing, I did mine. So it turned out to be this genius chemistry. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, when something works, everybody's a genius. So uh, the general manager, Bob Wessler, Van Gordon Sauter, the news director, uh, took it, and they deserve credit. And all of a sudden, 
you know, we're hot. You are hot. They had trouble with me in the beginning because CBS had a very firm policy that anchors are not to be commentators. The, oh, and that's the who you were. The wall was between them. Yeah. And I had gone over to... Way beyond. I was fired by Channel 2 for being too controversial, and I went to Channel 5. And then I came back. When we came back together, that was right. in 1973. Right. But I would not come unless I were able to continue my commentary. So I was going to ask that. So that's what wooed you back, is you got to have well, that creative I, control over your... Well, I, you know, I knew about his reputation. He was on yeah. his way to major CBS things, and I was very, you know, interested in being with him. And I, I wanted to do what I wanted to do the best, which was the commentary, much better than reading the news as an anchor. And... And I said I just couldn't come. I couldn't leave Channel 5 in order to come back here to just be anchor. I said, you'd make a bad mistake. This is a very, very conservative in many ways town. This is a uh, an Irish Catholic town. Mm -hmm. All those so anchors true. from John Drury on down. Yeah. What are you going to do with this little Jewish kid who doesn't, <laughs> just doesn't belong? Yeah. And you, you tell us now, you must have felt. This is a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't come here thinking that we were going You're to. Exactly we didn't. Right. We were not going to be co-anchors. Yeah. I was going to do the commentary, and you were going to do the anchoring. Yeah. That's Why right. they decided I should do the anchoring too, I don't know. Do you? Uh, no, I, I don't. But, but it was brilliant. To, you were ready to turn around and go back to California. Well, that not would have been a big that. leap. Uh, but I thought about that. Uh, I really did. It, it was a little bait and switch. Yeah. is what it was. Sure. But they got over the problems with Walter's uh, opinion by labeling it. This okay. is an opinion. Yeah. And, and telling and people, people directly that, that this was supposed. This and, wasn't. And then what was different is that he was able to anchor with me uh, for the rest of the newscast. That was a breakthrough. It was a breakthrough. Who preceded you? I both? actually got actually left the anchor set and came back to the newsroom in time to do the commentary, took off my jacket, at which time right. I had More casual. Yeah, yep, yep. Yes, you did. And I did the commentary and then went, went directly to a commercial. You know, that's very interesting today. There's no line, no wall between commentary and news. And that's, that's true. I think that's yeah. just terrible. Yeah, and that's we a growing trend. That. We are going to talk about that. Who preceded you both on the 10 o'clock news? We were listening to some promos before well, we get started. He was Bob McBride. Okay. But before that, you remember Fahey Flynn. Oh, of course. And they were grooming uh, John Jury, who in my estimation was the world's um, best anchor man because he's tall. He was tall, dark, and handsome. Right. He had a great voice. Uh, great presence and on the likeable. air. Yeah. So likeable. But he was so fed up with the news director at uh, Channel 2, he left and he went to WGN and uh, stayed there until he then went on to Channel 7. Right. But beyond that, you remember P.J. Hoff. Oh, yes. And, uh, but, but Fahey was an era and he ruled the roost in Chicago. Well, there's more with Bill and Walter after the news next on 720 WGN. Dave Player on 720 WGN. We're talking to the legendary news team of Walter Jacobson and Bill Curtis. This is also a time that we have to remember there was a handful of channels. So no cab light, no cable, no satellite, no streaming. And more than half the city was sitting down at 10 o'clock and watching your newscast every single night. That's another reason uh, that... We could be number one with a million people or two million sometimes. Yeah. And they would turn over, uh, switch from other stations. 
Uh, now, one of the most satisfying things I have um, are young people who, uh, you know, have children of their own who come just, just sort of transfixed and they say, I grew up with you. Right? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up with you. And yeah. it's very meaningful. I don't know. How well, when I when I when I when I'm stopped on the subway or the street uh, by recognition, I say, you know, how can you work? How can you recognize me? I don't look the same. You do. You, I, well, you, I said, you know, you must have been five years old in the living room when mom and dad were telling you to watch because they like watching yeah. us. And they, they all say, yeah, that's what happened. Uh-huh. Well, let me tell you, I was born in 67. So I was a kid watching the 10 because my parents watched the 10 o'clock news. I mean, that was out of my grandparents' house. That was in my other grandparents' house. And there was a time, uh, and I've shared this personal story with you guys separately, but I was 11, very interested in the broadcast world. And a friend of the family was a WBBM cameraman, um, Noah Ludwig was his name. And he said, do you want to come down to the station and watch the 10 o'clock news? And I thought, oh, my my gosh, yeah, of course I'd love to go down there. So 11 years old, I think it was like 1978, which was really when you said you really took off. And got there about 8.30 and saw you guys kind of walking around, getting your stories together, talking to you know other people in the newsroom, getting everything ready. Um, and then the cameras went on, and I was in awe watching you two because, I, I mean, I grew up watching you. And then afterwards got to shake both your hands and, and say hello and then got some pictures at the anchor desk. I got to go see John Coughlin and go stand in front of the weather map and so forth. And then the coolest thing was I got to go sit very seriously in Walter's chair in his, in his perspectives <laughs> office and give that look. Yes. Like I was going to oh, tell yeah. them some a piece of my mind, <laughs> and that was the coolest thing. And I still have those pictures, and that was one of the coolest experiences of my life. So yeah, I, I'm another one from a generation, a younger generation that grew up with the both of you. Mm-hmm. That's where I got my news. Yeah. That's why we're here today. That's why you're right. here today. Exactly. And who knows what's next? That's right. <laughs> was the popularity of the newscast ever distracting to you when you try to do your job? You know, or have some peace in your personal lives? You know, you said getting recognized on the street and so forth. Was that a little tough? Because I mean, you were number one. No, I, I, to be honest, it was not tough. It was enjoyable. I mean, that's some of the fruits of that labor. Sure. And, and too many people who do what we did or do uh, beg off that, oh, no, I don't like that publicity. I want my privacy. Come on. That's just ridiculous. That's a signal of your of your success. If people true. want to t- stop and talk sure. to you, so true. do sure. it. So true. Um, you know, Fahey uh, would use sort of it as an excuse. Well, you know, people come up and I change the story if I go on. The, but um, I've, I found that you could leverage it. Um, right. a, a newspaper reporter was with a gaggle outside a home where there had been a homicide or something like that. Everybody wanted the interview with the person inside. I walked up. And because I had been on television, sure. they recognized me, invited me in, left everybody else outside. He said, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's <laughs> the power. That's it. And yeah. that's the power of, of that show. Um, it was an incredible experience, um, you know, watching you guys on there. Did you actually – were you asked to run for mayor at some point against Mayor Daley, Walter? Well, it depends on who you mean by asked. Dan, Dan Walker was governor at the time. Yeah. And his uh, right hand 
man, Victor Grazia was his name, kind of had this idea that why don't we try that? And I, I, I mean, why not? You know, and they yeah. made up some buttons that said Jake for mayor or whatever. Is that right? <laughs> but it was not, it was not serious. We never, yeah. Never got around to petitions or anything. But that's like how that. powerful your perspectives were. Yeah. They made an impact on the city. And, and exposure. The state. And, and exposure, yeah. And why, why is that not being done now? That's a very important part of television news. And there's no station in town that's that's doing that. Not really. Especially no. in a town like this where people are really interested. Politics is the second biggest game in this town, for sure, after sports. And what it has done, along with other things, is it's removed a, a kind of an artery that connected the newscast, a newsroom with the people, people and the right. community. Because... Suddenly, Walter was talking about issues that affected them, and they felt he stood up for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, without that, um, you know. <laughs> so what? But you know, what's happened? Why? Why in the years since we were doing this, have the stations looked down on the idea of commentary? I think I was the last one. I think. Well, sometimes com- commentary from a national perspective is is forced on station groups. I mean, I'm sure well. you've read a lot about that. But I mean, this station uh, here obviously values those perspectives because when I when I play it during my show, I kind of have to stop and stand at attention because I know you've got something extremely important to say, and I still think that's how listeners view that as well. But where where does the where does the pressure come on the station management to not have commentary? I think a part of it's political correctness too, that well, they're afraid of the of the the pushback they might get from listeners that don't agree. And they're afraid of just the controversy. Yeah, right. Uh, because yeah. Uh, you may turn off 50% and 50% right. like you right. and you uh, send uh, advertisers perhaps but you know But it's always that way. I mean Yes, and there's a balance. Yeah. If you have, um, you, know, you listen to the perspective, then you go into the rest of the newscast that is right down the middle. Everybody's happy. I don't. I don't know the actual numbers, but but we have what's called the uh, Q rating. Yeah. I, whoever does the Q rating is determine which anchors are the most popular, the most liked. And he was way up at the top, and I was way at the bottom. But they watched. But as a team, they watched. Walter drove his commentaries in politics, but Bill, it was all about investigative journalism for you. And that has something that has always been the fabric of your being, and it has been for decades after that time period. If I look back on a career, why that period, probably three or four years toward the end of the 60s, was one, the most exciting, but also the most productive for me. One, you had the Democratic National Convention. Everybody's now doing the revisits to 1968. Sure. Uh, we were on the street uh, at the time. And uh, the, anyway, you know the history there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I was able, with a, a unit, which was one of the first investigative units uh, for a television station to break Agent Orange, a story that is still going on, 200,000 veterans compensated, 50 diseases recognized as being connected with uh, this defoliant, um, discovered uh, Amerasian children uh, as one of the first, if not the first, uh, American back in Vietnam. uh, and, And then kind of from there, uh, just sticking with good old coverage and uh, looking. Richard Speck would be another uh, big sure, story. Sure, of course. Um, but, but, you know, we all have productive periods in our life. That was one. And one reason we were able to do it is because management 
um, gave us their confidence yeah. and said, go ahead, that. Yeah. and did not have a heavy hand, but allowed us to do our thing. Well, you can catch Bill Curtis on Cold Case Files on A&E and AETV.com. A new season of American Greed is on Tuesdays at 9 on CNBC. And Walter's Perspective can be heard on The John Williams Show every Thursday right here on WGN Radio. Congratulations, guys, on your 50th anniversary. And it's always an honor spending time with you both. Thank you, David. All right. Thank you. And we'll be right back after this on 720 WGN.